Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Advent is a time of preparation, of getting things ready for the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've found that both in my own practice and also the historic practice of the church, Advent is a time for fasting, for prayer, for dedicating ourselves to the Word of God. And along with that, I would say introducing a new spiritual practice of some sort so that we can better prepare for the birth of our Savior and better grasp the reality of what it means that God became flesh incarnate and uh, saved us from our sins. So as a result of that, I was going through my daily reading and stumbled across this quote from St. Augustine on the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which is always kind of an odd reading at this time of the year. Nonetheless, here's what St. Augustine says. What great thing was it to the king of the ages to become the king of humanity? For Christ was not the king of Israel so that he might exact a tax or equip an army with weaponry and visibly vanquish an enemy. He was the king of Israel in that he rules minds, in that he gives counsel for eternity, in that he leads into the kingdom of heaven those who believe, hope, and love. It is a condescension, not an advancement, for one who is the Son of God equal to the Father, the word through whom all things were made to become king of Israel. It is an indication of pity, not an increase in power. So often that's the way we think of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Here comes the king, powerful, mighty, glorious. And yet St. Augustine says this king arrives out of pity for his fallen creation ready to forgive sins and serve. I said before, this text is one we expect not at this time of the year, but instead during Lent. We expect this to be Palm Sunday's text, where we get ready for the crucifixion and for the resurrection that's at the center of Holy Week. And yet, this same gospel text underscores one of the great themes of Advent and Christmas. What is it? Well, last week we talked about the idea that Advent and Christmas is kind of a story about two kings. One king is King Herod, who has authority. He rules as the world would expect him to. He's in a palace. He has soldiers to enforce his will upon the population. A king in the traditional image. And yet the other king is King Jesus. He doesn't arrive as a man fully grown nor as an emperor, one that we would look at. Instead, he's born to us as a baby, an infant. He's born not in a palace, but rather in a stable with no room for his family in the inn. Indeed, he doesn't rule through force, but rather he rules through self-sacrificial love. Interestingly, he doesn't command soldiers. Instead, he has messengers, evangelists. Even the word angel means messenger. And so his messengers announce a victory 
that's won through peace instead of through violence. This is a very upside-down king, and the kingdom of God is a very upside-down place to be, it seems. St. Augustine was recognizing that fact. For Jesus, this is a lowering of himself in order to raise humanity up from their sin and brokenness. The word incarnate, the word spoken at the beginning of the foundation of the world, condescends to our level in order to speak words of peace and mercy, just like a parent gets down to their child's level to comfort and to care for them, so is God doing the very same thing by becoming incarnate, made of the same stuff as us. He does this so we would transcend sin and brokenness by becoming part of this heavenly spiritual kingdom inaugurated by Jesus upon the cross. And that's the surprising thing about Advent. At the center of Advent lies the cross of Calvary. That's at the end of our journey. And I think, given that Christmas starts ever earlier and earlier, sometimes the day after Thanksgiving, sometimes as early as Halloween, we get distracted by the plasticness of Christmas, right? The hallmarkiness. We think that the reason why we gather together for Christmas is to experience warm feelings and sentiment, to see the cozy baby all wrapped up in the, uh, in the manger. But historically, this was not the case for the church. In fact, historically, Advent had far more in common with that season of Lent. It was a penitential season where we prepared our hearts and minds. The church devoted itself to prayer, to fasting, to reading the Word of God, so we might better grasp the why of the incarnation, of the birth of Jesus. Why it was necessary for God to enter into our sin and brokenness, to enter into our suffering and darkness. Historically, sanctuaries actually uh, kind of reflected that, right? In the sense that they were adorned with purple, pointing us forward to a suffering king who comes to make right the wrongs of the world around us. So, that's the way we're going to enter into Advent this year. We're going to go into Advent, just as those people did, following Jesus on that triumphant entry day, with shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is an interesting prayer to begin our Advent season. You see, it's a royal prayer. It's a prayer that we would reserve for salvific events. Essentially, it means something to the effect of, save us now. That's what those people are crying out. So Mark is showing us in his gospel account that there's something about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that's supposed to be connected with the chief act of salvation, which is the crucifixion. It's actually really interesting to me that the people who don't get that are the same ones crying out, Hosanna in the highest. You see, the disciples didn't know any better. They didn't expect their Savior to have to suffer and die on their behalf. The crowd that again cries Hosanna here doesn't realize just how wrong their expectations are. Indeed, it would seem to me that the ultimate reason why this person wouldn't be the Savior would be because of his suffering and death. That's the one thing Saviors aren't supposed to do. And yet that's at the very core of Jesus's ministry, the cross, Calvary. King Jesus will not immediately restore Jerusalem for those who are gathered in that parade all those years ago. Instead, 
he will bring about a heavenly kingdom crashing into the here and now by means of his cross and resurrection. His kingdom is very backwards indeed. His crown is not made of gold. His crown is made of thorns. His court, to the extent that there is one on Calvary, will be made of two criminals hung alongside him. His throne there is a cross, a very perplexing kingdom indeed. But St. Paul once said, I am resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. The incarnation, God becoming man, is all about that one thing, the journey to the cross. All of Jesus' journey, from birth to life to ministry to miracles to the end, is all about the cross. Because it's the cross that reconciles sinners and God. It fixes our relationship as God enters into the depth of our suffering in order to make things new, to make things right. So what catches us off guard each and every Advent is that the central theme of Christmas is how far God will go to save his people from their sins and once again create a lasting fellowship between God and man. And yet, what I think is so interesting about Advent is how quiet God's salvation often is. Advent is a time of silence, of diving deep into prayer in order to see the very subtle ways that God saves us from our sins. Isaiah seems to expect just the opposite. If you paid close attention to our Old Testament reading, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations would tremble at your presence. Isaiah is probably expecting what we're expecting when it comes to God's salvation and his acts. We want something great and glorious. We want something powerful. We want an Old Testament God who will rend the heavens, who will boil oceans. We want somebody that will make God's name known and show that the church shouldn't be getting pushed around the way that it has. I think we can all relate to that feeling at some point in our lives. I think the biggest problem for the church in America is that we desire a strong man. We want someone that will push back. We want someone that will show the church is a serious place to be and a powerful place to be, that the church really is triumphant, and that we should be taken seriously. But in Advent, we see just the opposite. We don't have a God like that, do we? We don't have a God who's a strong man. We have a God who is a humble servant. We have a God who rules through self-sacrificial love. We have a God who encourages us not to rule, but rather to care for the least of these, the widowed and the orphan, the sick and the elderly. Our God does rend the heavens, but it doesn't happen in a way that we expect. Instead, it is by means of his own sacrificial death upon the cross where heaven is opened. The temple curtain is torn in two, and God's presence is freely accessible. It's this cross which causes every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord. The reality of the church is that Jesus isn't the strong man that we expect. He's an infant king, lowly born, placed in a manger, 
who nonetheless rules our hearts and minds even now, even from a manger. We often look for light during this Advent season in all the wrong places and in all sorts of different locations. But yet we can still take the season of Advent in the midst of our dark, cold world, both literally and metaphorically, to return to the manger. One of my favorite hymns we sung today, Savior of the Nations Come, features this verse. From the manger, newborn light shines in glory through the night. Darkness there no more resides. In this light, faith now abides. In this light, this is the light we receive. The Christ child born to us in this humble way. And it is him who is at the center of our season as we prepare for that wonderful, miraculous, unexpected birth. But when we think about preparation, especially at this time of the year, I think we can easily, easily get off track. Probably some of you are preparing in your homes for Christmas this season. And I like to ask the question of what are we expecting from this particular holiday? Are we looking for that Hallmark-esque, picture-perfect Christmas, everything prepared just the right way, the food as it should be, the right people at the dinner table, or are we looking for something a little bit different? And I think we should be looking for something a little bit different. Every year in our, my family, a tradition is we watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. My middle school students know this. Uh, and I think it's theologically profound in many different ways. But in the special, we wrestle with the same problems that our titular character, Charlie Brown, does. He's in the midst of a commercialized holiday, a very plastic Christmas, if ever there was one. He's struggling with seasonal depression, all the usual problems that people have at this time of the year. And where does that struggle lead him? To his would-be psychiatrist, but more often torturer, Lucy, who suggests that he should go help with the Christmas pageant. Maybe he'll find there a sense of belonging, of meaning at the, sense, at the center of the Christmas season. And yet it's from there where the real problem starts to emerge. There is no Christ at the center of that play. Instead, there is the ever-expanding commercialization, the plasticness that he's wrestling with. And Charlie's, Charlie Brown's lack of enthusiasm is exasperated by the people in his life. Snoopy, who's usually our uh, go-to for what it means to uh, have joy in the midst of the season, has submitted his house for a Christmas decorating contest. And uh, the contest says that you can find the true meaning of Christmas here by winning a cash prize and having the best decorations. His little sister, too, I'm always amused by, says that Santa Claus should bring her tens and twenties instead of toys. If only Charlie Brown could experience Advent as the church experiences Advent. We strip back the excess. We say goodbye to the alleluias and the glory. We get rid of the glitz and the, gra- the uh, glamour. We abandon the commercialism of Christmas to focus on repentance. Repentance because the kingdom of God has drawn near to you in the Christ child. We return to this one central reality that Christ Jesus was born in that manger so that he would grow up to live, to die, to rise, reconciling God and man, crafting the church, a place where true peace and joy can be known in a lasting way, in a way that extends far beyond this season. Your king comes to you as a baby, 
redeeming you through every act that we will see in Advent and Christmas and beyond. But your king enters into this world in a simple, humble way. We often look to the wrong places, just like all those characters in Charlie Brown, for satisfaction at this time of year. Jesus, in turn, invites you into the heavenly kingdom. Jesus invites you right here into the gathering of believers, week in and week out. Our king comes to us, not as a mighty ruler or as the strong man, but instead through simple means like his word and promises. He feeds you through simple things like bread and wine, which through the lens of faith become great things, a life-giving feast of his very body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And yes, your king is returning to you even now into our hearts and minds. We often want to know how we can keep Christ in the Christmas season all throughout this time of the church year, and we're struck by this simple thing. Return, repent. The birth of Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, is for you, and it is even now freely given. Our lowly-born king is not what we expect, but he is, in fact, what we need. He's not like Herod, that terrible strongman. Instead, he's our prince of peace. He sends evangelists to proclaim that very word of peace into your hearts and minds so that you would be forgiven and made new. May we respond then with shouts of Hosanna, but shouts of Hosanna rightly oriented as we seek to serve as our servant king first served us. And that's what Advent then is really all about. One simple fact, that our king has come to be crucified. His death has become the gateway to life for all who believe in him. His resurrection has given you new life, a present hope in the midst of any trouble. And centrally, we see who our God is in that that divine word took on flesh, becomes like us, so that we might once again be like God, forgiven, holy, and righteous, a precious possession for whom Christ died for, for whom he rose for, and for whom we now live for. Amen. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.